working within listeners. Welcome back to another episode of season three. Thank you so much for joining us today because this is a really special and a really special episode, an episode I never would have predicted would happen, especially as quickly as it did. Y'all, today I am bringing you a Black Boss, the Black Boss, founder of the Black Boss Summit, Um, a woman who is dedicated to her community, who loves her community, who um, is really interested in building up the foundations of Black business and Black wealth building, someone who is a pillar of the community here in Colorado and has a national voice on Black economics. She is a thought leader. She is a caretaker. She is a mother. She is a veteran. Uh, This woman also doesn't know how much I love her. Like, um, let me tell y'all a quick story about Jice Johnson because that's who we're interviewing today. Look, I have known about her for a long time. She doesn't know about this because I searched. I was like, what? Black business? There's someone focusing on Black business in Colorado where I live, where all these other races are. <laughs> and um, I then I heard of the Black Boss Summit and I was like, Black Boss Summit? First off, I need to be there. I wasn't there last year, so let me go. I found out Jice was behind that. And then, you know, slowly as I'm getting to interface with these powerful organizations in Denver, like the Urban Leadership Foundation of Colorado and so many more, I'm hearing her name over and over again. And I'm like, you know, I got to meet her. But I had to work on my confidence because I wasn't going to reach out. I I had talked myself out of it many times. So, you know, I finally got the courage to guess her email. We have some mutual friends, but I did not want to do that because I really wanted to make it like, look, I'm coming direct. Okay, we're coming woman to woman. Um, Guess her email. She responded right back to me y'all, because that's who she is. And you're going to see that. Um, and she was like, hey, I'm booked because of course she is, but I can do this and this virtual or in person. I can make this work. Um, meanwhile, I had applied to speak at her summit. I had forgotten about that because just the way the time worked out and we got to meet. I told her we would work together. You know, <laughs> I was manifesting. We've been I've been manifesting. OK, um, and now Jice is here on Working Within. So anyway, I've been rambling, but just know like. If you're feeling fangirl, like it's that, but in a more, I don't know, whatever is a different word for that, because it feels <laughs> so extreme. But don't make me blush. I appreciate that. Thank you for being on the show. Um, so please, like, could you introduce yourself to our audience? You know, you got to have the astrology, but just like, what do you do? Who are you? Tell us. No one has ever asked me to introduce my astrology on any show. Um, so I I really suck at like making introductions of myself. So I'm going to try and um, do all the things that my coaches tell me I'm supposed to do. So, you know, we'll test this out. Um, so I am Josh Johnson. I am the founder and the CEO of the Black Business Initiative. I am also a work-life integration strategist. That is a new role that I'm stepping into because of my experiences that um, have really led me down this path. And I'm excited to share that because that's kind of a new space that I'm walking into as my world is evolving. Um, I am from Oakland, California. Denver tries to claim me, but I'm not from here. Was not born or raised here. So, <laughs> so to be clear, I am purely an implant, but uh, the Denver community has certainly grown on me. Uh, I am a mom of three. I'm a U.S. Army veteran. Um, I do hold a bachelor's and a master's degree, business and in management and organizational leadership 
respectively. And um, I'm a visionary. And I think that has been the title that I have resonated most deeply with uh, because all of the other works that I've done, the Black Boss Summit, um, the Vision Board Parties, um, launching and founding uh, the uh, Community Foundation, uh, co-founding a venture fund, some of the other projects that I am working on, all of those things um, are birthed out of vision and being really clear about that vision. And so I think that's probably the thing that resonates with me most in terms of title. Mm, visionary. And you know why, y'all? Because she's got five Pisces putting on. <laughs> Jess, what's your astrology? <laughs> a lot of Pisces placements. I'm truly, truly Pisces, like very Pisces, very Pisces. I claim it wholeheartedly. Yes. I'm working on the tattoo. <gasps> oh my God. We can't open up a tattoo box because we'll go down <laughs> that hole too. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but, oh my goodness. So y'all, um, first, I just have a question for the listeners. Have you ever heard of an organization in your community that is dedicated to uplifting black business. Like it's not a committee at a chamber, it's not a chamber, uh, it's not a task force, and it's not one program of a nonprofit. Have you heard of an organization that dedicates all of their resources to that cause? All right. <laughs> Um, so Jais, this leads me to my next question, because we're going to talk about all of those pieces of your journey because they're so significant. But can you just tell us more about your founder's journey? Like, I know there's Black Business Initiative. You helped launch a foundation. Like, how how do all those how do all those pieces like connect? You know, maybe you start by telling Black Business Initiative story. Maybe I don't know. But just can you just bring us along with you? Yeah. So um, after leaving the military, I started um, doing a, a lot of different businesses. So I would have called myself like a serial entrepreneur. Um, I did a little bit of Primerica, did a little bit of Mary Kay, did a couple other little things. Um, but I launched a couple of my own businesses, um, but there was nothing that was really sticking. So there were a lot of things that I was good at, um, but there weren't things that I was necessarily passionate about. And so when um, the death of Trayvon Martin the murder of Trayvon Martin occurred. Um, around that same time, there was uh, Tariq Nasheed launched the Hidden Colors documentary. And also I was a part of an organization called Shop Talk Live. And we were um, hosting like community conversations around different issues that pertain to the black community. So there was kind of a lot of things that were happening um, at that time. And I had no idea how passionate I was about our community. Uh, it actually wasn't something that I had thought a lot about. Um, the Bay Area is truly a melting pot. And so like I've grown up around a lot of different races. Uh, my mother is biracial. She's Japanese and black. And so um, that I've always considered myself to be mixed until until I didn't. Now I'm just like, I'm blackity black, black. But um, but I am my my, my um, grandfather is Japanese. Um, so like I had always been around a lot of folks. And during that time, I actually was I think I was shocked. Like, I think I have, I was appalled and shocked at some folks that I knew um, that were wildly racist or had these extreme biased thoughts. And uh, there were words that I didn't have at the time. Like I didn't understand or have the words for like microaggressions. I didn't have um, 
words around some of the bias that I had experienced growing up and didn't even realize I experienced growing up. So when these things happened, uh, I started looking for a solution. And in the Tariq Nasheed documentary, Dr. Claude Anderson specifically speaks to the fact that the Black community is an underclass. He says that we will remain an underclass because we have a weak economic base. And um, I had no idea what an economic base was, what that meant. But the more that I started digging into it, I started to learn and understand that we live in a capitalistic society, um, that everything runs off of a profit here in this country and that black folks weren't profiting, profit and ownership. And black folks weren't profiting and also we weren't owners. And so that really was the, the catalyst that just started me down this rabbit hole of research and information. And I felt like my world had exploded open. I was like, what is happening? Like I've been black my whole life. How did I not know the types of situations that we were really in and experiencing across the country? Um, so I thought, what could I do? And I launched a workshop. But our community was so hungry for information that I was being asked to produce more and more. And so I launched my first workshop in the spring of 2015. And by December, I created an organization, the Black Business Initiative, and it's been growing ever since. A lot of the growth has been based off of either what research has dictated or what the community has specifically asked for. Mm. And the, the most admirable thing about this, well, actually, let me not even say that because I might listen back and be like, that's not the most admirable thing. But something I really admire about what you mentioned, Jice, is that you had this shock and appall, right? And uh, like that happens to all of us. Like we don't all know everything going on in the world, even though it is like our, our experience, right? That we might be having without realizing you did something with that feeling because I think it's really easy to stay in the, ah, this is scary, stressful, bad, harming us, poisoning our community, and then not doing what we can in our power. And that's all connected to our personal power, all that as a whole nother topic, but not doing anything in our power to affect any changes, how we see fit. Uh, I remember when we first talked, you were like, you literally say you asked yourself this question, what can I do? And imagine if just everyone kind of like brought themselves there when they faced a challenge or a problem that they noticed how big or small it was, what can I do? Um, that we could maybe come up with some really creative solutions to stuff. Yeah, I think that we can, but I think that goes back into the visionary piece because, um, and we'll, I'm sure we can talk about this later on as we get into like our community, but I do feel like in our community, there are people who oftentimes ask what they can do. Um, they don't take action. And also they have issues with ego that require for them to be the front runner of a solution instead of a part of the solution. And so um, it took a lot of work for me to become a front runner of the solution. That wasn't my intention when I started uh, was to be a front runner of the solution. And so I sit more comfortably in that space now because I didn't self-promote my, my, I didn't promote myself to the front runner of this solution. I became a front runner of this solution because of my ability to take action. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, the ego. But oh, my gosh. Ooh, oh, my gosh. OK, so the ego topic, that's so used too because, you know, you want we need leaders in the world and you are a leader like you really are. And it, you make it easy for us to follow you because we know that things you do, like bringing communities together at the Black Boss Summit, we can follow that and go to that and know that you've orchestrated this event for us. And it's really dope because someone wasn't doing it right now. You're doing it. And it can be so poisonous when um, that need to be a leader rather than to just become the leader, because it happens naturally, just like you said. Um, that just gets in the way. That's in my own life. I used to be so scared of being on the stage or in the spotlight until it just was happening, right? And so it happens regardless. It's just when you put, yeah, when you put yourself there, it leads to all this other stuff that gets in the way of the cause. And to me, you are cause focused. Um, and I, I just think that's amazing. So I also wanted to touch on one more thing before we keep moving because again I'm a talker I can talk this Gemini works in my favor um <laughs> you talked about building a strong economic base uh this is so significant to me because I went to business school and I was like what one of five black women in my entire graduating class I was maybe one of three finance one of three black finance majors of our entire class and so um when you say we need a strong economic base, that just makes so much sense to me. Then I went to intern at a bank. I was the only black intern. Like that, that pattern just replicates. And it's so unfortunate because there are so many tricks in finance that we are excluded from on purpose. And there are so many structures and policies put in place that we are not meant to benefit from or know. And it's just sad that that disbursement of knowledge is still so gate kept. Uh, but what excites me about what I feel like is the time right now is that we, there's a lot of opportunity, especially in Denver economically to really get black business going and to support it. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think that that economic base is wildly important. Um, and I think we have to understand what that means. Right. And ultimately there is the financial literacy part of it is understanding how our money works and understanding how our money works in this country because all countries don't operate the same and their financial structures and systems aren't set up the same. But also um, ownership is huge, right? And so that's been something that has been denied um, to us uh, and have and have many obstacles um, in our way to prevent us from owning something. And that is so wildly important because in this country, in America, um, when you don't own anything, you don't have as much control over the politics, over the infrastructure, over the technology, over the legislation um, as you think you have, right? And so um, those things become more important. If you live in a apartment, for example, like you don't have the same rights as the person who owns the apartment in that space and that person doesn't even live where you live. So that means that someone who doesn't reside in your neighborhood has more control over what takes place in your neighborhood than you do as the resident. And so when we don't own, we are struggling on all fronts. And when we don't understand that as a community, it puts us in a really detrimental situation. It continues 
to leave us in a detrimental situation because we don't have the right information to fight back. So we don't know what we're fighting against. Some of us don't even know we're fighting. Mm. Uh, some of us are dissociating from the fight. Like, oh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> but we can do things. And, and there's, and what I find valuable is using anger, like that anger that, who are you to do, you know, to be motivating, to inspire all the action, all the effort, um, everything I've seen. Because, anyway, that ends now but anyway <laughs> we can get more into some aspirations <laughs> later uh but i believe in i believe in money more so much money actually passing through the hands of our black community and back to our black community in our black community in a cycle not out in but um let's keep moving with the question i'm asking another question now jace okay um One thing you mentioned to me when we met was that um, you are interested in sharing more messages about Black economics. And um, you really have a lot of experience with others and partnerships through being an entrepreneur in knowing about Black economics. What are some of the things that make you the most upset about the state of Black economics? Um, that's a good question about what makes me most upset. So in terms of what our community community can do, what makes me most upset comes back to the space of ego. For those of us that do actually get the problem, because there are quite a few of us who do understand what the problem is. Many of them struggle with an ego problem. And so it creates a space of infighting even amongst people who understand what the issue is. And I don't think it's worth it. In Denver specifically, there are billions of dollars that are passing through in economic development. That means in the purchasing and acquisition of buildings, of um, property that is being developed, of um, housing, um, big business, little business. There's industries that are here that we are not in at all. And then there are other industries that we are in very, uh, in a very small representation. What frustrates me about all of that is that we will have black leaders, and I'm going to use that word very loosely, but for the sake of... <laughs> I hear you. Just know I hear you. Thank you for conversation. Yeah. Yes. Black leaders um, that will spend more time fighting over $100,000 over a piece of a fraction of a minuscule, you know what I mean? Like just such a small thing that they, their focus and their energy is just causing more problems than it is solving them. And in Denver specifically, and I'm using Denver specifically because I think when you have a small place that you can create like a, a mini ecosystem, you have the ability to create models that you can scale across the country. But in Denver, where we have an overrepresentation of black leadership in in our government specifically, right? And I want to I want to highlight that uh, overrepresentation of our black leadership in government. We have a black mayor. We have um, black councilmen. We have 
uh, and women. We have uh, the CEO of the largest airport in the country is black. The, the, the person who's running RTD is black. Like there are, there's a lot of blackness here in leadership and the disparities for the black community in Denver are getting wider. That is an enormous failure on the part of leadership to figure out how to move the needle forward from an economic standpoint within our community. It's appalling actually. Um, So that is a thing that really frustrates me. On the flip side, what frustrates me about um, everyone else is that um, I think the data speaks for itself, but I think that we spend a lot of time trying to dissect and understand stories and data I have now turned away opportunities to work with people who want to start with data collection. I just will not. We will not. There's enough studies. There's enough quantitative and qualitative. There are enough experiential, um, you know, uh, stories and, and, and testimonies that can be shared that discuss the issues that we experience inside of our community. I will not start with data collection. We're not going to start with a study and let's figure this out. We're not going to do that. If we're not solutions oriented and you are an ally, also a very loosely used term. If you are an ally and you start with data, data collection, like let's get to understand the problem better. We can't talk. I'm not, I'm not there. So those are probably the two things that frustrate me the most. I have so many frustrations. We could go on for days about them, but we'll put those at the top too. (laughs) I hear you though, because it's like, it's clearly just a huge problem. So of course there's many frustrations because we, the wheel is still not, you know, changed. Like the wheel has not changed. It's been reinvented, reinvented, reinvented. But I think it has changed though, Charlene. Like it's gotten worse. That's where the change is. It hasn't changed for the better. It's gotten worse. Oh. <laughs> and 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 I think that like that's the thing, right? Is the more anti-racist and the you know that we so so-called become, the worse off that black people are. Yeah, because we 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 can we have to be less radical because there's more anti-racism. Ooh. And there are not a lot of people willing to say that either. So thank you for saying that. It's the truth. It is the truth, but I tell people all the time, we have had 24 years. Mm. Two and a half decades of black mayorship mm. in Denver, Colorado. Wow. And specifically in Denver, Colorado, it's the disparities are worse. Mm, man. It's an enormous failure on the part of black leadership. Yeah. And leadership, like you said, we're going to talk about that. Mm, I want to first touch on that data point as a former management consultant, well, former current management consultant. Uh, that is a that is a, an addiction that consultant consultancies and consultants have, and um, I never had much patience for it. You know, if you asked my um, former coworkers, they'd be like, Charlene is not like doing data stuff. <laughs> and, but that's because we have so much information 
We have so much information already. It's an excuse to wait. It's an excuse to uh, analysis, analysis paralysis. It's an excuse to overthink and to over-intellectualize problems because we have to find the exact right solution. It's really just a form of academic perfectionism. We all know perfectionism doesn't exist. It just keeps us slowed down and from executing, right? Even if you have entrepreneurs, like you just got to start. You can't get it all perfect when you launch. You, you're going to learn anyway. And so especially when it comes to people people's livelihood, income, happiness, ability to influence how the rules that they are governed by. And we are constantly analyzing. Yeah. Um, the black community, uh, household income went down 25% over the past, like, you know, it was just whatever we know, like we know. So, um, I totally agree with you there. And I think it's a waste of resources and it's not like we have resources to waste. Like we've been sucking the planet dry. We've been, there's just all of that is connected, right? You see all the connections. Um, and then this lack of leadership. Now that, man, again, that's another topic because especially being a, a younger person, um, the what I am now noticing in leadership <laughs> um, just makes me sad, actually, because most of the people I meet who have positions that where they supervise or manage, I witness the absence of leadership. Um, and I think that causes a lot of problems. You, even removing this from the black economic issue, that causes a lot of spiritual issues. Um, and it's just, it poisons everyone around you when you're a leader who's in it for themselves or overly focused or greedy, focused on money or um, can't empathize. Like as a leader, that is your duty to serve. And so um, right. that, is a, that is a sad reality of black leadership in Denver that that's that soulfulness that can drive us and really help us do good stuff for each other is not there. Um, and then the infighting. <sighs> only a few of us can succeed. Only a few of us can be at the front. We are fed that, right? Like that's our miseducation. Miseducation of the Negro is something I'm reading right now. So bear with me. But that's our miseducation thinking that there's only one of us that can be in the house. That's literally slavery. And it's just yeah. really sad that it's still here. Right, it's still here. Only two of you can be in the house. One of you mess up, someone's coming out. I'm going in. It's just like we have so much power. Yeah. Well, back. it's it's two things. It's um propaganda and it's a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And so you know, one the scarcity mindset um tells you that there's a lack of resources. It tells you the pie is only so big, and so I've got to get as much of the pie as possible. It doesn't tell you that the pie can just grow larger. Um. But the propaganda piece of that in terms of how we think is very real. I think we don't talk enough about propaganda in our community. We don't have a strong understanding of what it means to have that conditioning um, and how that conditioning plays itself out in our everyday lives. And so what that, where that conditioning is most detrimental in my mind does come into the space of Black leadership. Uh, and it's not just like leadership by position. I mean, you could have a door open for you inside of your workplace and we are conditioned to, to specifically shun away the idea of opening up that door wider and letting more of us into that space. Uh, we don't want it to become too black. We don't want it to be, you know, too ghetto. We don't want to be overrun. We don't want to be overlooked. We think that more of us are going to stop our own progression. And in some cases, those things have happened, but they haven't happened naturally. They've happened artificially. 
And so if we don't understand that it's not a natural phenomenon that if there are a ton of us in one place, that it that it will cut off our opportunities, that those cut off opportunities are um, artificially imposed on us. And that is the problem, not each other. And that's what they want us to believe. And don't we want to think for ourselves? We do. We do. <laughs> that infighting is so real. There's nothing worse than someone just not, yeah. Um, all right. So what do you think? Um, we talk a lot about action. I think we're both pretty passionate people. I already told you I'm trying to be you when I grow up, guys. But I don't mean it exactly like that. I mean, <laughs> but you know, we I care about Black money. Um, and so what are some of the first type of actions or, or suggestions you'd have for someone who also cares about Black money, Black wealth, Black economics, Black politics? Um, whether they are, I'll give you two use cases. So one, like um, Black community member and then everyone else. <laughs> so from the community member perspective or like for us, right, as the individual, um, I think we have to reframe our relationship with entertainment versus information. Like financial literacy is not sexy. It's not fun. Um, it could be fun to talk about somebody getting money. <laughs> like, it's fun to talk about somebody getting money and they got the new car and they about to go do this and, you know, all the new things that they got, right? Like, that's, there's fun in that. Um, but overall, like, talking about profits, losses, margins, cogs, um, you know, discussing uh, interest rates, um, none of that shit is sexy, okay? So we have to be clear <laughs> that it takes some work. It does, It just takes some work. Like, I don't like to sugarcoat things. I don't want to add a but. It just takes some work. It takes work. I, I hate it too. Like, I I don't want to look at my P&L statement. There's nothing that it does for me. You know, like I just, who wants to go combing through expenses? Who wants to be putting together expensive? None of that shit is fun. So we have to get, we have to get over that. Right. And then when we can get over that, we can utilize the rules that are that this country abides by to either change them and make them more equitable or we can use them to increase our wealth. Um, and if you were me, we'd be doing both because I because I am doing both. Like there are things that I utilize today. There are tools in my toolbox that I know are inequitable and I still am going to use them um, until I can change them. You don't change them from the bottom. You don't change them without any power. And so, uh, you know, if you have a moral compass, you'll get some power and then you'll make changes to make them more equitable to allow for more people to get where you are. Um, I think that that, I think though, in terms of creating that, my short answer, because I just gave the long one, the short answer would be ownership. You have to think about how to own something. Own a stock. Own an asset own a home, own a business, own something of value, right? You can own your intellectual property if you're going to put it into something that you can monetize. Um, so yeah, ownership. Um, for everyone else, how to think about this, I think it comes back to uh, 
whether or not something is artificially an obstacle or it's a real obstacle. A lot of times people in other communities create artificial obstacles. So I'll give you one example of a thing that I would change, but I use to my current advantage, right, is um, nepotism. Uh, Nepotism or networking, another way to put it, but nepotism is, is simply utilizing the networks that you have to get something that you want. You know, if I if I know you, I am more likely to hire you um, more so than reviewing 100 applications and combing through countless nameless, faceless people that are claiming to have a skill set. I know you. I know your skill set. I like you. I'm going to use you. Right. And so those create opportunities. Well, when you live in an inequitable society, then you have to be very careful about how you use nepotism because you cut opportunity out. There are people that live in bumfuck nowhere that have never been around real black people and wouldn't hire a black person when they move into a city or up the ladder of a large corporation because they don't know any. And so, um, So, you know, we call that implicit bias and whatever, whatever, whatever. But really what it is, is like, I don't fucking know you. So I'm not going to hire you. You don't resonate with me. I don't want to spend my lunch hours with you. I don't want to come across you by the water cooler uh, because I don't know you. And so it doesn't matter whether or not you can do the job well. I don't know you and I don't want you in my environment. I don't even not want you in my environment because I hate you. I don't want you in my environment because you're unfamiliar and we don't resonate with each other. And so that that space of nepotism um, that is allowed to exist now, right? And so you could have called it more, you could still call it racism. And, and in a lot of ways it is because racism is actually systemic. But the reality of it is, is that there's a significant amount of white people that are walking around that just ain't even gave black folks two thoughts. There are definitely those that have given us a lot of thought, a whole lot of thought. They hate our guts. But the reality, the uh, again, the reality is there's a lot of white folks that just ain't, you, they've never even had to think about us. They live in an all white town. Like they don't even, it's not even a thought other than whatever they see on, on TV and in the news, right? So some of it is not like I am out here to be hateful and racist. I just don't think about you. You're not in my space. And if I came across your resume, I'm not going to be interested. Because you're unfamiliar. So they need to think about that. You're unfamiliar. And, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that that's how they protect themselves. The What what we do on our side is we try, I mean, well, some of us are, try to assimilate. And so, you know, we'll come across Brad's name or Ken's name and we're like really excited because, you know, we want to invite them into our space. But, but they're pretty unapologetic about it. And so our other communities, the Asian community um, in totality, like it doesn't matter which um uh, ethnicity you want to pull from within the Asian community. Um, same thing with the Brown community. Um, the Brown community is also wildly okay with being unapologetic. We struggle with unapologetic, um, movements. And so other communities, that's what they need to do. They need to, um, really change that culture of nepotism. We talked about power and how, um, yes, it, it, um, in a lot of ways it's been exploited. Um, that's how we, we are here now. And also uh, it is the reason and it is the 
energy we can use to change things and influence things, especially in our favor, um, especially for community favor. And uh, I just know personally being having a powerful energy or a personal power being connected to my personal power, I used to be really afraid of that um, because it, it can come with a lot of energy as well that you receive. And um, I'm glad that you mentioned power because that type of affirmation that, yeah, you can gain power, you can strive for it, you can seek it and know that you can use it for good. Power is not inherent with like evil. And I think that is a kind of propaganda that um, we've received as well so that we don't go for it, even though there's so many people going for it abundantly all the time and then not using it to um, affect changes for our community. So thank you for touching on that too. Um, I also, I want us to talk about this for a second because I did attend my first Black Boss Summit this year and I thought it was amazing. It was the sixth annual um, and I know you had the vision for that and, and executed that. And um, But for the listeners who didn't get to make it slash will be there next year, uh, could you just tell all of us a little bit about what... <laughs> right, call that out. Yeah, about what the summit is, what you can expect, and, and just um, your thoughts and reflections from the past year. Yeah. So um, I started this summit six years ago, um, whatever year that was. I think that's 2017, 20 something. Um, The thing that had frustrated me was that the time that we see the Black community gathering was for like award shows and galas and things of that sort. Um, So I speak specifically to that because it's not a hit on galas or award shows or any of that. But when you go to an award show, you're celebrating someone. Typically, when you go to galas, they're fundraisers, right? So you are showing your support for an organization and its endeavors. What I was not seeing was a space where Black people were gathering to make an investment in themselves. And so the summit in my mind was that. What I wanted to be really clear was that we were going to be providing tangible, tactical information, things that you can touch, things that you can do inside of your business to help you get to your next level. So I was really... um, driven by making sure that this stood apart as an actual business conference, not as a, like I said, not as a gala, not as an award show, but it's a business conference. You are there to grow your business. You are there to grow your social capital. You are there to find opportunities and deals and, you know, see where you can partner and gather up resources and shake hands with the right type of people who can help you move your business forward. And also to learn from experts that look like us. And so, that was the, the the reason behind starting the summit. And um, I, I think it's just grown. It's grown. It's actually grown like bigger than what I uh, imagined. And now I have like a bigger vision. And so, you know, just like it keeps getting bigger. But the first summit started with 50 people. Um, we sold out all 50 chairs, which I was like really um, surprised. It also was like $50. So <laughs> it was like, it made no money. Um, and uh, and it was a, a heavy lift because I had had my son. Uh, and so uh, I was a, a couple months um, postpartum and 
you know, I was, I ran that whole day. Uh, we had breakfast, we had a reception or a lunch and, um, we, you know, we had swag bags and just all the things that I could think of that would be valuable. And, um, and so it's really grown and evolved every year. I feel like it's been different. So there have been components that we've kept and also components that we've removed and components that we've added. Um, and I, and I don't still feel like I have like the right mix, but I feel like we've provided over and over again, valuable opportunities for the Black community to convene in a way that's just purely positive. Like, it's for us. It's by us. It feels good. When you walk in, we are, you know, we are, we're in the building and we're not in like, we ain't in no shabby ass building either. <laughs> you know, like that's a been a big thing. And so when I did this, like that was one of the other parts was like the representation, right? And like some of the stuff that we don't know on the back end, like um, one of these hotels that I'm like in active dispute with right now because they do racist things. But um, but the 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 concept is we belong. We belong in the top-notch spaces with amazing service and, you know, in fabulous facilities that feel really good when you walk in. Um, I've walked into conferences before and it's immediately, I can tell I'm one of the only ones here. Um, you know, they're playing like some, I don't know, who's band, what, you know, like, the way that people are dressed, you know what I mean? Like they're dressed in some shit that I would never wear. There's a bunch of, you know, uh, Subarus in the parking lot, right? It's like, I don't know where I am. I mean, I know, I know why I'm here, right? I'm here to learn something, but the environment is never amazing and it doesn't feel good. What I feel good is I've walked away with information that I think can help grow my business. Well, I want to combine those things. I want to combine what feels good, what feels like it's aesthetically pleasing to us, what feels like it, you know, is a space that is for our community. And I also want you to walk away with some shit to apply to your business. Yes. And can I just say, I am a walking testimony of that when you mentioned, you know, shaking hands with the right people um because here's the thing about Jess Johnson like like you heard she really loves her community like doing that months postpartum that type of sacrifice that's her and like I wish y'all could just see how she moves um with the work she does because she is sacrificing for us um so that's just the type of woman she is and just know like she blesses me so much for many reasons but just one of the ways she's blessed me recently is by putting me on one of those stages and I walked out of that conference not having met someone in the audience per se but having thereafter signed my first 12 month contract with my business because we met at that summit. Yes. And it's exactly what she just said, right? That's exactly what she just said. Making sure you shake hands <laughs> with the people that can support us, that look like us, that are there to invest in their businesses. That is literally what happened and it happened in our community. Those dollars are in our community. And I just think that's so powerful. Um, so literally everything she said, that's the truth. You didn't even tell me that. Thank you. Like those are the things that just help to validate like what that work is for because it's really a labor of love. Like black folks don't want to pay for no value. So the amount of time that I spend trying to make sure that we have enough sponsorship just to host something that's fucking fabulous. Like it always warms my heart when I know that like somebody came out of that situation. Um, one of our keynotes, uh, Marquel and Andre, I went to Atlanta and next thing I know, someone's tapping me on the shoulder. Like I'm here in Atlanta because of the Black Boss Summit. I was like, what? Like those types of things. Um, 
like seeing the testimonies, you know, those are the things that just make me say, okay, keep going because it's providing opportunity. And if it wasn't providing opportunity, I would need to pivot. So thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that you got that. You got that. That's exciting. Thank you. Of, of course I did. Cause you blessed me and put me on that stage. So anyway, we can talk about that. I myself <laughs> off, but just know Jace blessed me. That's not even the only time she blessed me during that conference, but um, <laughs> she sacrifices and, you know, I, um, that's a leadership, right? Like, cause we talked about earlier, like there's a lack of leaders or we didn't say that, but like leadership, you know, in quote, because there are a lot of leaders, but what are you sacrificing? Like, what are you serving? Who are you serving? Are you listening to what they need? Are you providing these people what they need? And I think, um, this type of service, uh, and facilitating these types of transactions and energy flows and partnerships, it's like, that gets rid of the infighting, right? That one step at a time, that gets rid of the infighting. We're seeing each other and we're in an empowered community. One word you did not use to describe the conference is extremely empowering. I have my little notebook. I was writing down quotes from Mr. Bailey, uh, from Andre and Marquel. I was writing down my quotes. He's phenomenal. Okay. And because I am one of those people, I grew up in Europe for seven years. Like I was around white people my entire life, but now, right now I'm reading, so my black education was extremely limited, but that's not something that needs to limit me because, you know, from that conference hearing Dr. Ken Harris, for example, I'm reading The Miseducation of Negro, Powernomics, because I was extremely miseducated, oh, yes. right? But not anymore. <laughs> like, I can't, that cannot be something I was using as, as an excuse. One quote I want to really emphasize already from the first two chapters of The Miseducation of the Negro, this book was written so long ago, before we have, before we even had as many degrees as we do now as a black people. He said, all of the institutions by which you can get degree, all of the best institutions you can get a degree from make us no better at serving our community as Black people. Make Black people no better at serving that part. Right? Because we have so... It's so true. Right. Wildly true. And that hit me because I was like, yep, like my degree didn't tell me anything how to do that. And yeah, so just that is really just um, becoming a huge, huge thing to me. And I think, um, but the summit does that. Like... The summit does that, you know, like that's not miseducation. That is teaching Thank us how you. to serve ourselves and our community better and black people better and be better to ourselves. So whew, this is a great interview. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. All right. I want to talk about work-life integration, Jice, because I have seen you in action and listeners are hearing it, right? So they know you, I mean, there's so many things you've done. We haven't even talked about y'all. She helped launch the first... Black Community Foundation in Denver. Is that correct? That's right, right? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Like, and that's in addition to the Black Business. That's in addition to the summit. That's in addition to yeah. everything else that she's doing, because I'm going to miss it. So let me not even try to get them all, right? But um, can you tell us more about this new season you're stepping into with work life integration? Because the thing about being a great leader is extremely exhausting. That's how you know you're doing it right, because you're serving all the time and for so many people, and that's exhausting. Right. So tell me more about how you've arrived there and what you're looking forward to doing. Yeah, so how did I arrive at work-life integration? Truly through experience. Um, so I am a mom of three, and I've been doing this business with kids. So I had a, I had a kid already. I had my oldest, she's, um, at the time of this, she's 16. And when I had her, I was already doing a business back in Atlanta and I would bring her with me. So I'd have my little um, oh. <laughs> car seat 
and you know, she'd be right there. Um, I value that experience because if anyone had anything to say, they never said it to me. So it was welcomed that my daughter was my top priority and also I'm a businesswoman and I have to do both. And, um, and that was valued there. When I got here, so when I launched the first workshops in 2015, I found out it was a six series workshop. So in the second part of the series, part two, I found out I was pregnant. So I pretty much launched the entire Black Business Initiative pregnant twice. Because then I had my daughter in the top of 2016. I got pregnant again at the end of 2016. And I had my son in 2017. And so, um, and then I nursed all the way through um, his first year. So I was nursing all the way until 2018. So by the time I finished with like nursing my second child, I had been pregnant twice and nursing for three years. And, um, or nursing for two years. And, um... People in Denver, they had a lot of shit to say, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't okay in their mind, right? And so um, I have breastfed and been in community meetings. I have been in political meetings. I have facilitated conversations and changed diapers at the same time. And I don't say that like because I think I'm awesome. I say that because. I have had to learn to integrate my work and my life. And then I had to learn how to do it unapologetically. And then I had to learn to do it to a place that brought me joy instead of a place that felt um, purely out of obligation. And so there's been an evolution in that because that's how you, the first place that you experience burnout is because you feel an extreme obligation to something and you don't feel like you deserve to have the time to separate out for yourself, for your family, for um, things that you desire, for your hobbies, for other endeavors that you might want to pursue, for learning, right? And that's how you start to get to, to the place where people haven't actually spent time learning and they get far down in a career and they're using outdated information because over the last however many years, they haven't even had time to go back and continue to like learn and grow and develop in that area. So that was important to me um, as I started down the pathway of burnout was I didn't want to be burnt out. I was experiencing that burnout um, and I knew I needed to make a pivot. That was really important to me. Um, because what was happening in my home was my children were used to me working like the first time that I really, really, really knew. Like I, I had inklings that I needed to figure out something else. But the first time that I really, really knew was when my son was three and I'm getting ready to leave and he runs to the door and he likes throws his hands up. And he's like, I don't want you to go to work. And I was like, oh my God, like all he, this is what he knows. He knows I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And um, when he said that, I felt bad, but of course I'm like, I gotta go son, you know? So I'm like pushing him out the way. Um, but I, that was when my ear started picking up on 
how often I was telling my family, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work. And it was telling them they weren't a priority to me. Um, during that time, I gained so much weight. I was like, now I'm about a size 10. Um, I'm really working to get back into a size eight, but I had ballooned up to almost a size 16, like 14s were starting to fit tight. Um, I, so I had taken myself out of areas that were important to me. Like I was in the military working out. I was a, um, an athlete prior to that, like working out had always been a part of my life, but now it wasn't. Um, I remember doing like starting to go through my finances and I could not believe how much money I had spent on eating out. Like I was in shock. I, I was like, especially when I'm looking at how little savings I have and, you know, other pieces that were not in place. And I'm like, I spent this much money eating out. Like, this is crazy. Right. Um, one month, one month, one month, I spent like $1,400 on fast food. I was so disgusted with myself and I knew that I was tired. I knew that I was emotionally spent. I knew that my children were suffering. I knew my health was suffering. I knew that my finances were suffering and I didn't, I just, just I just didn't want to live in the space anymore. I just did not. And so, um, I've always been a person that's had vision boards. I've had vision boards for a long time. Um, I have hosted, uh, eight or nine, eight vision board parties in Denver specifically, you know, and I've had vision boards for longer than that. So I've always been a person that's like set goals and gone after them. And what I realized is that my goals had been predominantly focused in on things I wanted to do, not who I wanted to be, not how I wanted to show up, not how I wanted others to perceive me, not even the legacy that I wanted to leave. Right. And so like, it's kind of, it, it can be cliche. If you've ever heard that story of the dash, like you're born here, you die here, there's this dash. And what do you want the dash to say? But it's really like, if you really, really think about it, it's such a telling concept. What do you want the dash to say? And at that moment, had if I had passed away two years ago, the dash would have been my mom worked a lot for my kids. Like that wasn't the legacy that I wanted to leave for these little people who I love more than life. Um, and so it, you know, it's been a process and that's how I started getting into that strategy work because some of it has been mindset shifts. Some of it has been identity shifts. Like how do I identify for myself? How do I show up? And then how does that translate into what I do on a day-to-day -day basis? How does that translate into how I handle when I fall off the track? Because I do like my weight loss journey has been very up and down. I have had months of consistency and then I've had months of inconsistency. And how do I respond to that when I'm back in that space? Right. So that experience has led me to a place where um, it's not that I don't work hard, but I really believe in working hard and playing hard. And I believe that those things need to be integrated. And, um, and I think that there are a lot of spaces and ways to do them. And I've, been, and I've experienced a lot of spaces and ways to do them. I just took a trip to New York. It was a business trip. I clocked in an extra day. You know, um, so I, I, my business trip was two days. I spent three days and that first day that I arrived early. Um, and these are the types of things when you're talking about like strategy, how do you do that? Well, I had been traveling a lot. I knew I was going to be tired. So arriving early is strategic. It gives me an opportunity to get checked in. It gives me an opportunity to rest. 
so I could be fully present for the work at hand. It also gave me a little bit of time to do some sightseeing in a place that I hadn't been before. Um, it also gave me an opportunity to sit down that night for dinner when there was nobody else from the conference in town. And I was able to just sit and breathe and have a drink to myself and, you know, decompress before gearing up for a full day conference the next day. Um, it also gave me a, an opportunity to schedule out a couple of small strategic meetings that I knew I didn't have to be in place for. And so in that time, I got to travel someplace new. I got to get a little bit of rest. I got to have some cool experiences. I got to do a little sightseeing. And then I was there for a conference in which I got to continue to build my social capital and my network and learn. And I came back, um, you know, with prizes and treats for the kids. So, you know, it's like there's ways to integrate what it is that you want to do and how you want to live and how you want to show up without thinking about it in a space of balance, um, but more in a space of alignment. Mm, I love that. That sounds like a that sound what you just said about balancing all those things and be able to do all of them in that trip sounded like cake. Like it tastes like cake. It's like a piece of yummy cake you can have when you're able to be strategic with your time and also like you said, not feel overly obligated to that one thing that makes you sacrifice everything else. Because I know that's real. Um, and what you said about identifying who you who you who you want to be rather than like what you want to work on or what you want your job to be, uh, I think it's so important because that's part of our education. We're taught to think in what job do you want after you graduate? What role do you want to fulfill in the workforce and instead you know there's a lot to realize about ourselves and our identity and our spirit through asking that question and as you said that i was like hmm that question wow so what how can what are you how are you helping people work on that jace how are you helping people work on work-life integration so you can work with me i'm launching um a call every week um, that you can join for free. You do have to register. That is the exchange. I get your information and you get my information. Um, so I do have a weekly call and then I do have some workshops. Um, and other than that, I'm launching a program. So um, the program is not launched yet, but if you are interested, you can go ahead and get in contact with me so we can see if my program would be a good fit for you. Um, and then uh, once the program launches, we'll be, we'll be rolling. And I hope to have more of us in a space where we are um, enjoying life and still knocking out our goals. Yes. So. Work hard, play harder. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, because that's the only... Yeah. Anyway, um, we and listeners, we will make sure we will retouch on the Connecting with Jai's question toward the end, which we are approaching, uh, which is so sad because I feel like we need a volume of these conversations and... Maybe that's in our future anyway, and we don't know it, guys. But uh, I just have a couple more questions <laughs> for you. Like, my audience is really, I think, in the beginning, toward closer to the beginning of their journeys. Though I won't count out anyone who's not. Obviously, I'm here for all of y'all. But um, so you know, a lot of the issues my listeners are facing are like, I'm in a place where I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am yet, um, or I haven't been supported in exploring that question really, right? Or um, I'm kind of just focused on uh, finding some source of stability, like through a job, but I'm not passionate about it. Like what, because you are innately creative and have vision and you, 
you are the type to cre- create opportunity for yourself and be a serial entrepreneur, what type of advice do you have for anyone who's in the beginning of that space? Like they know they want to be creating or doing more or just advancing. Like what is what are some of the steps that you took to kind of just start? Yeah fun steps I feel like so one let me just start with I think we need to have so much more grace for ourselves let me just let me just start there we just need to have grace for ourselves um so the one thing that I want to make as a as contextual to this is real conversations with yourself so a serious like pillow talk come to Jesus whatever when you are figuring out what is it you want to do you have to make a determination whether or not you lack grit or whether or not it truly isn't for you. So you have to ask yourself that question. That is that that is a preliminary, let me, I, that's a contextual, like everything that I'm going to say after that fits in the box. Do you, are you lacking grit or is it really not for you? Yeah. So with that being said, um, I first think that if you really truly have no idea whatsoever about what it is that you want to do, you have to give yourself an opportunity to explore. Um, you could look up like different types of career paths. Like uh, I'll give an example. My daughter wants to be a writer. Uh, I'm not that familiar with where writers make a lot of money. Right. And so I started I had to look that up like, oh, well, you can do, you know, creative writing over here or technical writing over there. Or you can, you know, ghostwrite people's books. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for writers to make money, not just in authoring books. So I needed to understand that so I could help her better explore a passion that she has for herself. So don't hesitate to like take something that you're passionate about and then do some like deep diving exploration to find out what opportunities do exist in this space that maybe I'm not aware of so that I can start to form a path. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'd like to see about that. Um, Also, experiential learning is probably the fastest way to like close gaps. So if you want to do something, just try it or expose yourself to it. Um, And that can be done through any number of things. Like you can look at internships, you can visit, you can reach out to people. Um, It's interesting that you said that you were nervous about reaching out to me. I need to figure out like, maybe it's my resting bitch face. I got to figure out like why people don't want to come and talk to me. Cause you are like the third person recently who has told me like, I was nervous to come and talk to you. And I was like, but why? Um, But I say that because I have experienced a lot of things by just going out, you know, and talking to people. When I went to um, Miami and I saw Marquel and Andre speak or Marquel speak, you know, I didn't hesitate. I literally didn't hesitate. I immediately got in line and said, hey, I need to talk to you. He doesn't know me from anyone, right? And so like, I can see he has expertise. I can see that he's a professional in what he does, but I have to be willing to put myself out there on the line. What the worst he can say is I don't want to talk to you. And And, um, you know, that can be like, that can feel some kind of way, but only if you take it personally. So, um, and in that space, I'll recommend the four agreements, right? Because it's not personal. Like, if you don't know me, how could it be personal? You know what I mean? Like, you have nothing to base that on. So, you know, that could just be his lack of time, or maybe he's overwhelmed or his capacity. But sometimes we take things personally that just aren't personal. Um, But that's a digression. So, experiential learning, making sure that you're reaching out and trying new things. 
Um, when you have a direction and you don't know necessarily what your specific destination is, like you don't have a clear, concise goal, but you have a direction, you have to explore things in that direction. If you like photography, do you want to be a photographer? Do you want to help with picture selection? Do you want to be a photographer for journals? Do you want to be a photographer for people? Do you want to be a photographer of food? Like that's a whole thing, right? Um, what types of photography do you want to participate in? So like taking a di taking a thing and making it a direction and then experiencing different things to try and figure out what works for me here is one route, right? Um, or you can have a goal and you could go for it. Like when I did Primerica, um, obviously financial literacy is something that's important to me. That was how the company was, was presented to me as a financial literacy company. Um, I got involved, right? And I built myself up. I went to licensing exams. I got licensed as a real, as a um, insurance agent. Uh, I passed one of my series uh, investment licenses. So I passed I, my series uh, six. I never passed my series 63. That's why I never got the full investment license with Primerica. But like I got actively involved and then I determined that this wasn't the space for me. And so I never, I never left the space of financial literacy, like black business, black economics, it's all around finance. It's all around money, but I no longer sell insurance. And so, um, so in all of that, you have to be okay to change course. But here's the thing. I went really high and far in Primerica, um, because I have grit. So when I changed course, I felt comfortable that I wasn't just quitting this just wasn't the thing for me. And then, then you can stand in that. So one of the things you have to be careful about when you're starting out with something, and this will be the last piece that I add, is how you can damage your your um, reputation when you start and stop. So when I decided to leave Primerica, and I'm using them as an example, I had multiple businesses that I had started and stopped. Um, but when I did, I had very clear, concise reasons for why I was stopping, why these things weren't the thing for me and what thing that I felt like I needed to pivot towards so that I can continue this process of understanding, you know, what was for me. Um, when you are a person who doesn't follow through with your word or you're a person who just quits a lot, you can damage your reputation. So you want to be careful in how you're representing when you're starting, you can tell people I'm exploring this path. That's not the same thing as saying this is something that I'm doing and I want you to buy into me and then I quit. So be careful with your reputation. It can be rebuilt, but it's the same way as when you break trust with someone. You can rebuild trust, but it does. it's a hard road to rebuild. So when you break your repu rep reputation, because you are known for starting, stopping, starting, stopping, starting, stopping. Um, that can be detrimental. What you want to do is you want to tell people I'm exploring so that they don't feel like you have this commitment to something that you're not really committed to yet. And that way you don't damage your reputation. Yeah. So hopefully that's helpful. That's, well, that's very helpful. Um, yeah, because... Little Miss Quitter over here. No, I'm playing. But <laughs> for spaces that weren't for me, I know I have grit. But you know, that's a real question. That is a real question uh, because things don't work out for a reason, and also there is some of that making it work. The grit, like you mentioned. Yes. Oh, Jace. What we've talked about everything under the sun, huh? No. 
I want to I want to end this interview by I want you to please let us know how listeners can um, receive your content um, see what you're doing um, follow your organizations and you and uh, connect with you and then if there is if you wanted to share anything else on your mind too I want to open that up for you as well thank you um, we'll connect with me at Jais Johnson um, pretty much on LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram I'm kind of sort of on Twitter I'm trying to Twitter more <laughs> I'm trying to get there. Um, that's probably not the best platform, but I'm working on it. Like if you follow me on Twitter, maybe it will make me more active. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Jice Johnson on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, you can also follow the Black Business Initiative at BBI Professional on all three of those platforms as well. Um, if you absolutely need to email me, email me at community at bbiprofessional.com and um, my assistant will help you get in touch with me if you're serious. Um, but you can DM me. I do try to return DMs. Um, so yeah, so there is that. Also, I will be having my website launch out soon. So there'll be other ways to follow me soon around like my content and things of that sort. They're not quite there. But if you DM me, I will send you the link for my call so you can get registered and connect with me every Wednesday at noon, noon mountain time. Uh, you can connect with me and um, over our lunch hour, we'll talk about work-life integration strategies and I'll answer your questions around that. And um, yeah, I, you know, I don't think that I have something specific that I want to leave. I think this was an amazing interview and um, I don't think of myself as old, but in comparison to you, (laughs) I will just say that um, you absolutely warm my heart with um, your tenacity and um, all that you do. You are so intelligent, such a bright light. You are amazing. And I am very glad that we have had an opportunity to get to know each other. Joyce! Oh my God. (sighs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You know, I'm emotional. Thank you very much. (laughs) I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much for so many reasons. Oh, y'all, this woman, um, I just, I'm so grateful that she chose to share and spend her time with us listeners, me on this show on Working Within. Because um, look, as you heard, Jice is, um, is committed, not busy. She is committed to causes. She's committed to herself. She's committed to her new venture. She's committed to her family. Um, and she is also committed to being accessible. And that's what I just really appreciate her. She's, yeah, so, um, and just so loving and so gracious. And Thank you so much, Jais, for sharing. I can't wait to release this episode. Maybe we can release it so listeners are hearing this when the website's launched. Who knows? We can talk about that. But listeners, just go ahead and give a round to Jais Johnson. Um, there are more things to come with her. And so as they come up, we will share them as well. Um, I hope you all heard and got some great perspective on blackity black black economics today because that's the economics <laughs> we really care about. Um, And listeners, thank you so much for your time.